1: A quick note about this week's episode. For extra clarity, we have included a transcription of Shanti's interview in the show notes. Warning, the following episode contains stories of extreme violence.
4: <laughs> That's big, big thing. Where would I begin? Sir, it this time, in, about one Thank you.
1: in July, I was granted a reprieve from the Texas heat. I traveled to the Bay Area to interview a man who experienced partition when he was 19 years old. Up until this point, I had only communicated via email with his son, and the only thing I knew besides him being a survivor was, is that he used to be a professor in the economics department at Rutgers University. I took the Caltrain from San Francisco to Mountain View. My mind was racing during the entire journey. I have never spoken to my relatives who survived 1947 face-to-face about their experiences. And here I was about to meet a stranger and have him divulge painful parts of his past. I met Shanti Tangri and his son Neil at the Mountain View Public Library on a Friday afternoon. I got there early to set up our meeting room and I was constantly rearranging everything as if I was staging a house about to be put on the market. Once the equipment was set up to my liking, I sat down, took a breath and looked over my questions. And a minute later, there was a knock at the door. They greeted me with a joyful and kind energy. We introduced ourselves, I explained how the process of recording would work, and I went over some topics of discussion. After that, I pressed record, and for two and a half hours, I just listened to Shanti, hanging on to every word of his story. Each episode of this show has been difficult to put together, but my time with Shanti posed a lot more discourse on how I should present his story to you all. If this episode could be hours long, I would have loved to include everything Shanti told me. Each sentence, each memory had so much significance. I hardly spoke during our conversation. It didn't feel right to interrupt his stream of consciousness as he recounted a number of memories for me, each one more nerve-wracking than the last. From iHeartRadio, I'm Neha Aziz, and this is Partition a podcast that will take a closer look into this often forgotten part of history. know that many attacks and crimes took place before Independence Day. Shanti describes some of the moments he witnessed, the weeks leading up to partition.
4: Partition officially took place in mid-July. It was in the air. Matter had been politically decided by all the parties. They were going to accept these compromises. We sat near the radio for hours, heard there was a fire in Inner Lahore, and it wasn't being put out.
1: He told me that he climbed on the rooftop of their home and realized the fire was only a few miles away.
4: We could tell from the direction or where it came from, that this was the old city. And most likely, it's either we didn't know for in the beginning we were Hindu or Muslim or or both. Sometime during that night, the word started coming that it was the Hindu portion of the town, which was burning. We were all up and beginning to what to do. For a while, everybody was totally confused. Like maybe next morning, things will calm down and stuff. I kept listening to that radio and also more police every now and then coming through the area.
1: With all of the news Shanti had knowledge about, he began to think about what would happen when the formation of a new country was quickly approaching.
2: So
4: I would listen to the radio, read the newspaper, and there were articles about that fire in downtown Lahore and so on. We started worrying about what's going to happen when Pakistan arrives.
1: A decision about the family's future had to be made.
3: We had
4: long arguments, and we had relatives, uh, cousins, who had gotten married recently, and he had come with his wife, new wife, and staying with us for a while. They were on the way to Kashmir, and I talked to him, and so was my older brother, who was at Panaras Hindu University and an engineering school, and uh, probably in India's best at the time. And we had a family session, all of us, to what to do because things were getting worse for some reason i found myself in agreement with some of them not in agreement with others and one of them happened to be my oldest brother's father-in-law who was very fond of me for some reason i had stayed with him in karachi once and they invited me to stay with him for two months so he kept coming back and saying Listen to this young man, listen, to this. he was probably more persuasive and my father going along with it. He wanted to get back to Karachi. And he was saying, no, you shouldn't do what he's saying. What I was saying is, send this young man, my younger brother. He's grown up, strong, bigger than me. It looks like if the police is coming, if there's any trouble, He will be picked up, and God knows what they will do to him. Get him out of town. Send him to East Punjab, where we had relatives. And that would be a safe area, because it was largely a Hindu, Christian area. My father was reluctant. He wanted to get back to work. He thought he'd been through so many crises before, but he agreed to that and Krishan Parta and his wife, who was sick, they said, we're going to Kashmir, and we're going to take these two brothers with us and settle down. Krishan can go to and the University. If we don't, he can go there now, but don't stay in town. And finally, that's how it worked.
1: As time began to pass, Shanti's family went their respective ways.
4: It was my turn, and I had an older brother who was not in town. He was living in a town called Ayalpur, about 150 miles west. He was married. His wife was with him. I had visited them a few weeks before. She was not too well, and she had a child, which is one reason my mother had sent me there to help out. So I had to get her out. So we arranged to get her out also. Sent her to some relatives on her mother's side. So it was me and Krishnamurta and his wife, new wife, and my mother. Well, the vicar had time to go. My mother Mother was reluctant and we had a, a We had a servant like many families who had been with us since childhood. And he didn't have any family anymore. And the way they sort of pressured me to go with the Krishneparta and wife and Chris that we should all get together at the same time, be easier. And we did. That was somewhat harrowing because we gotten out in time, but we left our mother and father behind. Father was, he was still in Delhi, so he was saying, you get out of town.
1: He mentions one particular memory that is imprinted in his brain.
4: On the 2nd of July, here I was sitting in the, the outer room of our house, and I heard kinda of buzzing sound. I know it was after the fire that we watched from our roofs. And I couldn't stand the noise after a while. The noise gets louder and louder. So I opened the window that shutters. And inside there were screens and glass panes. So there was some filtering out. It's the kind of noise I never heard before. Like you have a swarm of bees buzzing around. And I thought this, this time was in the middle of the day. It was a hot day. It may have been 100 or 105 degrees. I opened the window, my inner windows, and I saw a crowd milling around, maybe 30, 40, or 50 people. I couldn't tell except that some of them were wearing turbans. So I figured, it most likely, even though some muslims were terrible some Jews, but it seemed like mostly a crowd of six we had been speculating that there'd be trouble because of the fires in downtown and some people are going to do a vengeful and do something terrible and that's exactly what would happen. so what i see in the few minutes some people not only were just milling around, but they had all kinds of crude weapons. Some had swords, some had daggers, some had uh, things made of wood, anything they can use to strike. And they were milling around, and for a couple of minutes, I couldn't tell what was happening, except that they were all swirling around and shouting. Then, before my eyes, or I could really get a vision of what it is. I didn't have glasses in those days. I may have needed them, but I didn't. I see the crowd splitting up into three different clusters and surrounded each one. There was somebody in the center, a human being. I saw at least two of them put a sheet over their head, and people striking down with the weapons and shouting, and from the sound, I could tell that they were mostly Sikhs and Hindus. There couldn't be Muslims in this area. And in five minutes or less, the crowd started disappearing before my heart came in. Some of them fell. I saw some of them half dead and their bodies jumping. I never seen person die. Seeing
1: all this through a window in his home, Shanti felt compelled to
4: act. So I rushed to the front of my house, the gate was. I picked up a bucket, I started putting water in the bucket to take it out, and my mother came rushing out from her home, <laughs> because she had she had not seen the whole thing, when she saw it She grabbed me and said, get back, don't go out, you'll get carried, you won't get very far, you can't do anything. So I stayed and she said, I don't know if I'm going to lose all my family or somebody, I want to hang on to whatever I can, stay here, that's why I'm here.
1: This date also sticks with Shanti because he was to take a final the next day and heard on the radio all exams had been postponed. Soon after that incident, he left Lahore to travel to Kashmir.
4: We wanted to get out quickly.
1: Shanti was told by another family member that he could only bring one suitcase with him.
4: In the bus that we took, Krishna Partha, Raj, his wife and me, and my brother Krishna. There were two Krishans. We were going up along the dividing line that became the dividing line between India and Pakistan. We were on the Pakistan side because that's where the road was. So we were going north to the town of Jammu, which was the southernmost town in the state of Jammu and Kashmir, which was a different political entity. And on the radio, sometimes the driver who was the sick was afraid also he would turn it off and say, no, keep it on, we want to hear. And every now and then the news come, there was trouble. A bus got stopped in such and such town. People got murdered and so on. And there were fires have started in such and such town. So there was trouble popping up here and there. And we didn't know where we were heading into it or into safety, but it was chance to get away and be moving. And luckily, uh, by the, I forget how late it was, my impression was 6 or 7 p.m. or something, And we got to Jammu, we were able to rent rooms for the night. And just, they were going to take us across to Kashmir in the morning.
1: Shanti was in the Hindu-majority area, so for the time being, he felt safe.
4: If there was anybody in danger, they were Muslims. And the next morning, after a few hours' drive, the road goes over the tallest areas in the country. It's called Banihal Pass, about 12,000 feet above sea level. Once you cross that, there's a tunnel and just get a view of Kashmir Valley. It's beautiful, and it's all mostly Muslim or Buddhist minority Hindu. So these are two different countries almost, but they were all under the rule of one Hindu Maharaja. So it was safe at the time.
1: He shared another encounter that caused some tension, but said the situation ended up being okay mostly did a luck.
4: I could feel that perhaps there were people with guns and weapons within 30 feet of me and I was walking through, walking on a road parallel to the Pakistan border and it was most of the places, it was one mile apart from Indian territory. I had to walk from an area west of Jammu, probably not a long time, but by the time when that road came very close to the border, but it was not visible because there was a sugarcane crop. It had not been harvested. And across the sugarcane, you couldn't see, but you could hear. And I heard noises. And a few guns going off, and some people yelling religious slogans, which were generally war cries. And then we know there was trouble. So all we could do was to just lie quietly, not make any noise, and hope that nobody will stumble your way.
1: Shanti's son Neil was in the room with us, and I had to ask if he grew up hearing any of the stories from his father.
4: Yeah, he would tell me these stories of partition How he met Gandhi. Yeah, I would hear about these. I think one of the things that made the greatest impression on me is, you know, like he's telling the story of uh, Sheikh Abdullah,
0: of when there was rioting and there were people who would go out in the streets to calm the crowds, to disperse a riot with their words, you know, much later
4: I came across Martin Luther King Jr.'s phrase of talking the madness out of young men. And that just struck me as such, a,
0: such an incredibly brave and selfless thing to do. Um, and incredible to have that capacity of speech that you can reach people who are in an unreasoning state of mind.
1: With this next question, I wasn't sure what to expect. I had asked how he coped with all of these experiences. It seems almost silly in a way, but also vital at the same time.
4: How did I cope? I don't know if I have an answer to. There is, uh, you know, things which sometimes happen and you can analyze them and analyze them and, and there's no guarantee that that analysis will lead you to something which you can repeat and benefit from. I find myself in the last year or so, again, for some reason, have bad nights sleeping. And it's not because I was experiencing those dangers again. It's just that those memories coming back and they led me and took other people to other ways, which uh, I can't explain easily.
1: He describes one memory in particular to me.
4: One night, when we were walking in a Jimu Road, we had walked about, over a two-day period, 50 miles, I and two other people. Who were villagers from some local village whom I had met in Srinagar, and uh, they turned out to be working for a distant relative of mine in Delhi, and a uh, relative whom I had ne- never met, Mr. Uh, they uh, said, "You can come with us." They had come to pick up their son, or uh, not their son, but the employers and and, uh, come with us and uh, we have a village and we'll break the journey on the village. The rest of the time, we may have to walk or we may be able to find some transportation. So I left with them and it was all right sleeping in the village was no problem. But when we got to the village uh, soon after, we couldn't go any farther. Because we heard on the radio that there was flooding and the Ravi River. The Ravi River formed the boundary between Pakistan and India at that time, going north-south.
1: Shanti recalls seeing numerous boats filled with refugees.
4: Muslims going west, we going east. They had been washed away during the night. The 300 boats were lost, and with them, a lot of people. So we didn't go. We decided we're going to wait and see what the situation is, because from the hills, water can come down at any time quickly, and there can be flooding without much warning.
1: Shanti and his group are trying to figure out their next course of action. There were camels and donkeys, but neither could really make it across the river.
4: It was blazing hot during the day, and we were totally ill-equipped. No water bottles, no net. And uh, walking, sand is getting into our shoes. You take the shoe off. You can hardly walk 10 feet when sand gets into your shoes again. So, Walking one mile in that hard sand, it was just like you've been walking half a day. So we were not we were not confident that we'd be able to do the thirty miles or so before we reached the river. Meanwhile, India-Pakistan travel had escalated into a military fight.
1: The road they were taking wasn't in good shape, so the group had to figure out what to do next.
4: There won't be any, even a decent road for a while. The question was whether to stay in that village. And, well, there was an option. available, we well, except that these people are poor, and they in, didn't want to take money from us and stuff. And anyway, it was different, so we walked and decided to go and see as far as we can get and if we have to, they would sleep in the forest. When I held out, I did not want to sleep in the forest. We did walk once, and I saw that the forest had some old buildings from a temple complex, and it was not being used, had not been used for a long time. So I started asking these people about what some of these holes were, and I found out that this—it's a wilderness and there were snakes of all kinds. So I said, <laughs> <more than laughs> afraid of snakes. So I said, I'm not sleeping here. So you have a choice. We can go down to the riverside, which is sandy, but there is also this risk of being washed down in the middle of the night if it starts raining in the mountains, or go back to your village. It was a tough decision.
1: In the end, a compromise was made.
4: What if we walk back till we don't have to go all the way back to the village, but it's sandy and there's no no big forest around in the world. So. We found such an area and walked back several miles to do that. And I'm glad we did, because it was very risky.
1: Shanti said he became bitter in terms of religion. He details an exchange he had with Gandhi.
4: I accused him of not Acting on its own faith. And I said, Well, your religiosity and adhering to it is contributing to it. And he couldn't, of course, understand that. He thought it was unfair. He wanted to know. So, what do you suggest I do? I said, You should speak against religion. You know history as well as I do, maybe better. Tell me of the time when Christians, Muslims, Hindus have not fought each other and not killed each other. And tell me, why do you believe in God? Couldn't he do any better than produce people like us? So he says, and what would you do if I talked like you? How long did you, I said, it's not helping people hate each other. So if your God is there and God is all powerful, what's the excuse for his being such a lousy engineer? He was taken aback by my sharpness and he says,
1: Gandhi repeatedly asked Shanti what he should do, and Shanti responded to denounce religion.
4: He says, If I do what you tell me, how long will it take for people to Agree with me. So I said, You got the winning argument. Probably it will never be. So he says, So what can we do? You have to do what you can, I have to do what I can.
1: The last thing I asked was how he felt after 75 years.
4: I've been in much of the life, my life, in order to keep going and do things which I found difficult to do. I kept saying, well, things can change. And there is a philosophy, especially in American education, of emphasizing the positive, emphasizing a better time is going to come. I can't say I believe in them anymore. I guess maybe it's just my age. I've become very pessimistic. I listen to the news. I get depressed.
1: He mentions Putin and the war in Ukraine as a current example of greed.
4: How can we be optimistic? If I were still a teacher, what could I be telling the kids? And there are so many good people working in so many different countries, and yet for each one of them, there's somebody out here. Just turn the TV on and see how many people are trying to give you.
1: Next time you'll hear from two brothers who lost each other during partition and finally met in person 74 years later. It was through social media and community they were able to find one another. Nasir Dillo is a real estate agent in Pakistan and in charge of the YouTube channel Punjabi Lahair. He was a vital component to Siddiq and Sikka reuniting.
4: It used to take a long time to find people because whenever someone used to contact us about a missing relative or a kidnapping, we used to do everything. Before that, we didn't have a community to assist with finding people. Now, as soon as we upload a new video, we get a clue, because we have quite a few subscribers and people contact us or leave notes in the comments. It usually takes eight to 10 days to find an idea. Around 200 to 250 people have met not only their blood relatives, but old friends and neighbors through the channel.
1: Until next week, I'm Nehazis, and this is Partition. Partition was developed as a part of the Next Up Initiative created by Anna Hosnier, Joelle Monique, and Yasinia Median. Partition is produced by Anna Hosnier, Trisha Mukherjee, and Becca Ramos. It is edited by Rory Gagan with original score composed by Mark Hadley.